Let me ask you to turn to the book of Ephesians. You may want to keep your finger there for the next eight months. Because we, uh, we are going to uh, enjoy this book, and it will take us into next summer. I encourage you to, to read it through, and then read it through again and again. You will never regret time you spend in reading through the book of Ephesians. When I go to a new book, I I pray a lot about where to go next, and the Lord, I believe, has led us to this book at this time. Uh, I so enjoyed uh, the book of Acts, and then 1 Corinthians 13 for this summer, but I have been anticipating before we finish the book of Acts, I really believe that uh, this was the next book for us. Now, uh, if you ever look in commentaries about various books of the Bible, what you will see are pretty high and lofty words about that particular book, the author, uh, and and that's without exception. Uh, You know, whatever an author would spend time and uh, effort and the study that it takes to write a commentary about a book of the Bible, uh, they're going to uh, think highly of that book. But let me just read you a few things that have been said about the book of Ephesians. It is the queen of the epistles. It is the divinest composition of man. It embraces first those doctrines peculiar to Christianity, and then those precepts common with it in natural religion. One called it the greatest, maturest, and for our time, most relevant of Paul's writings. The letter one said, is pure music. It is the Grand Canyon of Scripture, meaning that it is breathtakingly beautiful and apparently inexhaustible to the one who wants to take it in. I think, I think that's what we will find. You will have your own description of it. And yet, I, I believe that you will see the wonderful depths of this epistle that <clears throat> begins with some of the loftiest words in all of Scripture, right after the greeting that we talk about today, but beginning next week. And it, it goes into some of the uh, most magnificent of uh, the doctrines And we will deal with doctrines of God's sovereignty, of His sovereignty in 
salvation, of election, of predestination, of the foundation of the church, of grace and grace alone, of faith, and on and on and on. We will, we will grapple with these doctrines, never getting to the end in terms of the depths of them, but doing our best to dig deep enough. And then, as the book transitions, after these great doctrines are laid out, then we see the, the application of this new community of what it looks like to to live out those doctrines in our relationships, in our marriage, if we are called to that, in our parenting and being a child, if we are called to those, in our work relationships. And then... We will cope with what's going on around us that we can't even see. This spiritual warfare that Paul knew he had to warn them of. But warn them not so that they'd be depressed or scared, but so that that they would know that being equipped in this way, we shall stand. And we'll stand in the midst of the world where you have put us, O Lord. It's an amazing book that begins very simply, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, you didn't waste words. Every single word that you saw fit to preserve is here for us. And so as we look at this brief passage, Lord, will you teach us? Will you call us? Will you give us ears to hear you? And as we enter into this study over these months, will you? Will you change us as we need to change? Whether it's our mind or our heart or our actions, whatever it is. And then when we get to the end of this epistle, Lord, will you help us to know you better than we know you today? To love you more and to serve you better. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
Now, um, I'm conscious that by saying we're going to be in here till next summer, that some of you might say, oh, <laughs> okay, really? You know, that long? And, uh, you know, I've, <clears throat> I've been in your place when a pastor has gotten up and in my mind ill-advisedly said, you know, we've got so much to cover today. Just settle in. Uh, it's going to be a long one. <laughs> and I thought, that's like the worst thing you can say because I was already, you know, feeling like, oh, no, it's going to be long. I've got to settle in. So I don't want you to feel at all about that. And I, I don't think you will feel that way as we go through Ephesians because the, the doctrines are so vast. Um, and don't worry, we're not just going to do two verses a week. Some weeks we'll do three. <laughs> and then there'll be weeks where we do uh, a, a bigger chunk than that. Um, so let's, uh, let's take a look, first of all, by way of background. Uh, here we see who the, uh, it is from Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. <clears throat> now that is just a typical ancient world uh, greeting. When I was in elementary school, um, they didn't call it grammar school, that was even before me, okay, but when I was in elementary school uh, and learned how to write letters, now, children, letters are these things that uh, it's a piece of paper and you address it to somebody and then you, um, most of you know what those are. The way I learned it was this. You put at the top, dear so-and-so, whoever it was to. And then you wrote the body of the letter. And then you would write respectfully or love and then put your name, whatever it was, at, at the end. And that's how I learned to do it. Well, in the ancient days, back when Paul was writing, they put it all up front. Now, I think somebody has seen the wisdom in that. Because that's the format of emails, isn't it? Nowadays, you have who it's to. You see who it's from. And you see the subject before you ever decide whether I'm going to read this thing or not. <laughs> you know, before you ever go down and, and read the body of it. And, you know, some people now in the body, they don't even put, you know, dear so-and-so or put their name at the end because everything's already obvious. So that's really what this was like. Uh, and so we see all of this right up front, uh, especially the, the who it's from. Now, in terms of who Paul was, uh, we have encountered him a lot during our study in the book of Acts. But I want to just in a, a capsule put it this way because I don't want to presume some of you didn't have the advantage of growing up in uh, churches or in Sunday school. And you may say, I, I really don't know much about Paul. And we kind of did it in bits and pieces. So here's uh, maybe in a capsule 
what we know about him. Uh, Paul's father was a Pharisee, uh, would be one who was a studier of the law, and so was Paul. He was a Roman citizen. Um, Nothing really much is known about his mother. Evidently, though, he had a sister who was in Jerusalem. You may remember the passage that we dealt with in uh, the book of Acts when uh, one of the times when a plot, there was a plot against Paul and his nephew overheard the plot, uh, his nephew that lived in Jerusalem. And so he had family there in Jerusalem. He was born in Tarsus. Well, I guess that's one thing we know about his mother. At some point, his mother lived in Tarsus, okay? She wanted to be near him when he was born, is what I understand. <laughs> in terms of his education, he studied under Gamaliel. Uh, he was a well-known rabbi. If you said that in that day, that would have, been, that would have meant something to people. And uh, so Paul had that advantage. And he was also, as we know from uh, Acts and elsewhere, uh, he knew the skill of tent making. He could actually do it to the point where he made money, could make money uh, doing that. Uh, As a young man, he was a persecutor of the church. He was a terrorist. He was present at Stephen's stoning when he was stoned to death. And he was feared by Christians. His conversion took place near Damascus. He saw a bright light. Uh, Saul, his name was Saul at that time. He was blinded. And Christ rebuked him. Some of you will remember what he said. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. By the way, ISIS better take note. Those in North Korea that are killing tens of thousands of Christians, better take note. Those in Sudan and those in various parts of the world had better take note that if you lay your hands upon the children of God, those who are in Christ, He takes it personally. They need to know that. They're persecuting him. He wrote the book of Ephesians from a Roman prison. Uh, It is considered one of the prison epistles. Uh, Sometimes we think mostly of Philippians, but Ephesians was that as well. Uh, Sometime between 60 and 64, if you've got a Bible that's got a commentary in there, probably it's somewhere in that range. And just to give you an idea, uh, Paul... Uh, we believe died somewhere around 67. So we see that's Paul. He was an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. 
Now, in terms of what an apostle is, and we will get into this uh, later in, in the book as well, in this, uh, in this epistle. By the way, epistle is a letter. And this, this was probably um, a, a circular letter that went to various churches uh, and various groups within the church. We don't know that for sure, but at the very least, we know it's circular because it was for the church of Ephesus and it's still going around, right? To churches. So um, that probably was the case, and that's what an epistle is. Um, There's a couple ways that the apostle is used in the Scripture, one who is chosen or sent out with a special commission, and that one being having the full authority of the sender. So if you're an apostle of Jesus Christ, you're going out with his full authority. There's a, a second sense, an informal, uh, more informal sense where like Barnabas, uh, who was a missionary uh, to Antioch, he's, he's called that at one point. But here it's Paul's official designation. Now all of the other apostles had uh, these qualifications. They were a disciple of Jesus. They were with Jesus and they also saw the resurrected Christ. So they were with him before he was crucified. They were with him after he rose from the dead. And the apostles are that which lay the foundation of the church. Now Paul's different though, isn't he? In terms of apostleship. Because he wasn't one of the disciples. He wasn't there. In fact, after Jesus had already ascended into heaven, Paul still wasn't with them. He, he wasn't converted until after that. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, verse 7. It's talking about the appearances of Jesus And it says, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. This is Paul speaking. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But here's how that's addressed. That's why this is why Paul really got grace. Verse 10. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. You see? That's why grace was so very precious to him. So this does tell us that. Notice he's, he's listing himself in those he appeared to. So Paul was with him after the resurrection on the road to Damascus. And some feel the other time he was with him was the three years when he went away to Arabia. I think that may be why we have to do three years of seminary. I don't know, but that's, that's the only thing I could ever figure out. But some feel that that's what he was really with Jesus during that time as well. 
By the way, he calls himself the, the least of the apostles. Think about even his name. Before Christ, he's, he's Saul, named after the great king of Israel. And then he is called Paul. Paul is from Paulus, and it means the little one. Whether that was his stature or not, that's certainly how he saw himself among the apostles. So it says then, by the will of God. That same phrase he uses in Galatians, the beginning of Galatians. That's how he got his apostleship. And so what he's saying is this. He's not pulling rank. He's not establishing, look, I'm an apostle, therefore you need to listen to me. He says, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. He was saying, it's, it's nothing I have done that has given me this position. In fact, I consider myself the least of the apostles. But it's only by his sovereign will and his grace that I have this position. And let's face it, without his sovereign will and his grace, think about what Paul was before he had the grace of Christ in his life. He was a persecutor of the church and he would have died like that, if God had not intervened, which we're going to see explained in Ephesians 1, how God does that, what he does when he inserts himself into a life. And then it was written, to whom was it written? We'll look at the Description to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Uh, there were seven churches in Asia, and he's he's talking. By the by, the way, this uh, Ephesus was in what we modern day Turkey. So if that gives you an idea, you'd have Galatia and uh, would be that area, and Ephesus would be there as well. So he's, he uh, emphasizes uh, it's, it's to uh, the saints of this city, Ephesus. Uh, it was really a chief city. It was one of the top political uh, cities in that day, a commercial center, large, prosperous region. It was a melting pot. There was a, a Greek open-air theater, some, I uh, think, seated up to 50,000 people. Now, think about that. You know, that's a, that's a pretty good-sized stadium where they would watch chariot races and fights with animals. But that's also where the Temple of Diana or Artemis was. That name's used interchangeably. And that temple uh, was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Um, 
it, it was huge, it was elaborate. And so this, this was quite a city that he was in. There were large amounts of treasure uh, that te- in that temple. It was served by hundreds of priestesses of Diana, and they were temple prostitutes, which tells you what kind of a city it was. But this was the strategy. To go to this place. By the way, our, our mission to the world, our, our, the mission arm of our denomination, sees that as a similar strategy. To go to the great cities of the world because people are moving into cities all over the world and then the influence goes out from there. So it, it actually fits with what, uh, what God led Paul to do. But Paul was writing to the Christians of that city who were attempting to live for God in the midst of utter paganism. If you remember, in, in the book of Acts, one of the things that took place in uh, Ephesus, they got so upset at, at Paul that, and other believers at that time that they uh, yelled out, thousands of them yelled out for over two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. It was pure hostility in Ephesus. Now last week we talked about living in a pluralistic society, secular society. And uh, that's what this was. In their society... Just about anything was tolerated except Christianity. Does that sound familiar? It sounds too familiar for me. By the way, the, the one, though, that wrote, uh, the commentator that wrote that this, this may be Paul's most relevant, he wrote that a long, long time ago, which tells how God's Word impacts every generation. So he wrote it to the saints. Now, the biblical meaning of saints is far different than uh, either the church has used it or secular society. Because uh, the church, uh, the particular arm of the church that recognizes saints and lifts people into sainthood, uh, they are doing it based upon good things they have done. And if somebody, you know, out there in the world, you know, you're in the office, and you probably get this all the time, oh, she's a saint, or he's a saint. Don't you get that all the time? I would think. Anyway, uh, whenever they say that, what they're saying is, oh, they're such a nice person. They're such a good person. Well, biblically, <laughs> it's used almost in the opposite sense. Because one does not become a saint, biblically, by being good. They become a saint. Someone who is addressed as a saint. Because Jesus was so good, and they're trusting in him alone for their eternal life. That's how one becomes a saint. And so what that does mean, literally, 
In the biblical sense, if you're trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, you are a saint. You are one that he is addressing. In the biblical sense, it means set apart. It's something that God does quite apart from human merit. And so God reaches down by his Holy Spirit and puts a new heart in a person and starts that heart beating, as we'll see in Ephesians 2, because we were dead otherwise. And then he puts new life in that person, and that person's identity is no longer as spiritually dead, but as a saint. So that's who he's addressing here. It is, it is we who are trusting Christ. And then it says, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Wow. Some of you are thinking, well, that leaves me out. I, I don't feel all that faithful. How could anybody say, oh, he's addressing it to me? Because I'm faithful. It's full of faith in Christ Jesus. Full of faith. And we're going to deal with in in the book of Ephesians that in Christ, that union with Christ, and what that means for us. So what did they need in order to be in this pagan society, in order to be considered faithful in Christ Jesus? What do they need? What can keep people of, uh, the people of God set apart and faithful? There's only one answer, and that is verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm calling this series New Life, New Community. Because it begins with new life in Christ, and then it's going to affect every relationship that we have in community. And so after struggling with a title for this for, for some time, I, I, I hope that that is a, a valid description of uh, the direction that this book is going to take us. Connie and I have had uh, opportunity a couple of times to tour communities that uh, were set apart to be utopias. Maybe, maybe you have had uh, that kind of an opportunity. We went to uh, uh, a Shaker village, and uh, you may be familiar with the furniture they make. Well, they were a, a village where, you know, they, they would pull apart from the world. And we also went to a, a Harmonite village, New Harmony. And uh, what they would do, but in both of those cases, they were waiting for the second coming of Christ. And so they pulled away from the world, from wherever they lived before that, and they pulled into a community. And as they waited for Jesus to come in that community, they would be industrious, but just inwardly, Typically, uh, if they were married, no longer, uh, they would be celibate from that time on. And guess what happened to those communities? You know, 
they died out before Jesus came back. Well, that, those things, as interesting as they are historically to go and to see, that's not what God calls us to do. Unlike a, a community that cloisters itself, God's way is for us to be uh, plunked down right in the middle of the world to live out the truths that he gives us in his word. And that's what this epistle is about. To be plunked down right in the middle of Ephesus and yet to stand for Christ. To be plunked down right in the middle of Columbia. And to do that, our only hope is His grace and peace. That's the greeting. Grace and peace to you. Now, I want you to look at the end of the book. That's the introduction. But there is, in chapter 6, I think a bookend. And I've used this as a benediction. Verse 23, it says this in in chapter 6. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. I usually say an undying love because that's what I learned from the NIV. Do you see why I point that out? That's the bookend. It begins with grace and peace, and then he says peace and grace to you. That's what's absolutely necessary for us to be His new community. Now, one of the ways that He gives us His grace and reminds us of His peace in Jesus Christ is that the new community eats together, eats His supper together. This is what Paul said to the Corinthians about that supper. I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so we eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. To you, the saints, the faithful ones, though you may not feel faithful in your actions, grace and peace 
to you. If you're trusting in Christ alone, you can know that whatever else is going on in your life, at this table there is peace with God. And no matter how much you struggle, even with doubts, even with disobedience, that in Christ there is grace. Grace and peace. And so, if you are trusting in Christ, I invite you to this table. If you have united with him and publicly professed your faith. Now, if you have children that haven't done that yet, they should wait until they publicly profess their faith. But this table is not for those who are faithful in and of themselves because none of us would be welcome, but those who are full of faith in Christ and desiring more of Him, more of His grace. Let's pray together. And so that's what we ask for, Lord your grace, and your peace as we partake. Will you cause your spirit to reveal those things we need to deal with and give us hearts of repentance? That's not even going to happen unless you prompt us. And so we utterly depend upon you for that. And then, Lord, Will you nourish us at this table? Not because of the amount of bread or calories or the amount of the fruit of the vine, but because of what they are in you. Help us to partake by faith and therefore to grow. And so will you take these elements and set them apart for your special use. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.